The Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Good afternoon and welcome to Exploring the Word. I'm Jim Stanley along with Dr. Alex McFarland. I'm in for Bert this week and Bert should be back with us on Monday. Uh, Alex, you know, you and I talked just a little bit ago about the decision that appears to be imminent from the Supreme Court. And when, as we were talking, I mentioned our good friend Dan Steiner from Operation mm. Preborn. And so Dan's on the line with us and just wanted to, to bring him in and let him tell us a little about what this means, but also what it doesn't mean. Hey, Dan. Exactly. Yes. Hey, gentlemen. Good evening. Good Great to have to you, on. Dan. Yeah, good to see you. Here you go, Dan. My so, favorite program, the Bible program. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Thank you, brother. It's our favorite program too. So, but uh, so Alex, you know, you you and I talked about this a little bit, and and you agreed that you know that this basically is sending it back to the states. And then when I chatted with Dan, Dan, I think you said there's about 16 states that are already going the other way. And while one battle may be won. Uh, now it's become a battle among every state? Yeah, so this really turns uh, the decision for abortion back to where it was pre-Roe versus Wade, which every state rightly gets to decide, the court of the people, you know, our representatives duly elected in each state, what they want to do, what each state wants to do with abortion on demand. And um, this is not taken really anybody surprise, by surprise. We anticipated that the Supreme Court would probably come down on this. Now, this isn't the official ruling. This is um, an aberration that was a, a violation of the sacredness, frankly, of the Supreme Court's sanctity of privacy that they have to debate among themselves as judges what they're doing with these drafts that go back and forth. And so... Uh, the marshal of the Supreme Court will deal with whoever did that if they can find out who it is. And uh, that's a, a great concern for what it's done with the Supreme Court. But um, it really uh, reflects the opinion of the majority, which Alito represents and is writing the opinion of, between the judges right now. We don't have a decision from the Supreme Court. Probably late June or early July we'll have that. But it looks very favorable that it will fall in our favor and get it out of national law uh, so that states can make their own decisions without uh, government prohibiting and, and dictating ju with judicial activism, uh, you know, what we can and cannot do. And so when that happens, there's probably 21, maybe 26 states that have the possibility of uh, triggering laws, probably at least 20, will trigger laws that are already set up that cannot be enacted because of Roe versus Wade to prohibit abortion or restrict it significantly in their states. The only reason Texas was able to do it is that it was being enforced by civilians, not by any institution. But most of the other laws are not like that. Uh, the, the demise, not uh, soon enough, of Roe versus Wade will change all that. The states will get to decide. And what we're seeing is this gravitation uh, polarization, as we are seeing in our culture and so many issues that you guys articulate so well at AFR, uh, between uh, radical progressive leftism, the le leftward drift is what Valerie and I call it, uh, and, uh, the, uh, and the conservative right. And uh, it reminds me of a verse you guys may be familiar with, Psalms 12a, which says, The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. We've elected vile men that are leading our country, which we won't name, and you know. And uh, so we've got wickedness breaking out on every side. But this is, a, this is a, a, a glimmer of hope that we can actually have states making their own decisions about what to do with abortion, and it's going to... Uh, um, be a great day for the pro-life movement. It's not going to stop women from getting pregnant or wanting abortions. That, that doesn't stop, but it will make it more difficult in many states for them to get it surgically, not chemically, 
Mm. And so the deep mm. state's already been anticipating this. Um, and uh, our, uh, right now, as we are on the program this afternoon, at least 54% of all American abortions, more than half, are chemical abortions. And those can be done across state lines. And so it really makes it irrelevant what the law of the state is. So the, the deep state genocidal abortion juggernaut has already figured and anticipated this, and act, and they're acting on it. And they're expanding on chemical telehealth uh, prescribed abortion throughout America. So that's that's a an upshot of what uh, what we're dealing with here, gentlemen. Wow, uh, Dan, I want to thank you for so clearly explaining these things. And um, Jim and Dan both, I, I I wish here on Exploring the World we would take a moment to pray. Um, Jim, may we do that? Absolutely. Dan, um, Dan, would you lead us, brother? And, uh, and let me just say this, too. I want to interject this, that um, I I wish that uh, Roe versus Wade would be struck down uh, for uh, belief in the sanctity of human life and morality. Um, we know that uh, apart from several, like may, maybe uh, Clarence Thomas and several of the others that believe in what we call natural law, it's probably being driven by uh, states' rights, and I understand that. But my my prayer, Dan, and like you say, a glimmer of hope, is that this would be the catalyst that turns us back to being a nation under God, a nation that believes in morality slash righteousness. And um, this this is a victory if indeed it goes through, but it also means that there are a number of other things for which we need to pray and stand strong for truth, and yes, be very prudent and responsible in the persons for whom we vote. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got that right. All right, Dan, would you pray hey, Dan, with us? you want to lead us in prayer? Yeah, let's pray, friends, and, and those that you are listening over the air. Heavenly Father, you said if two or three agree is touching anything. Anything, it would be done for us on Earth. And so we agree this afternoon that uh, this leaked draft would portend to the final decision, that you would give us a final decision that exactly mirrors this uh, this draft that Samuel, Judge Samuel Alito uh, wrote this afternoon, and that you would strike down this decision that breaks your heart, God, in America, the national legalization of abortion. And Lord, we ask, would you have mercy on our country, God? Forgive us, yes. Father, for legalizing the wholesale slaughter of our children. And we pray, in Jesus' name, that you would tear down the altar of Moloch in this country and stop yeah. the bloodshed. Forgive us for what we've done. Lord, we plead for righteousness to uh, stand, for truth to stand once again in the streets of America and that you would send what we need most, and that is a revival, not just in this issue, but on so many issues mm. that are talked about here on AFR, Lord. We just ask that you would intercede and, and let this be the tip of the spear that brings revival, that people would see the sin that Roe versus Wade is. It's not just judicial activism. It's sin in your sight, God. And we just ask that you'd expose uh, as you said, it's our job to do, expose, have nothing to do with the works of darkness, but rather expose them, Lord. So pray that you do that, and uh, that there would be a breakout of revival in America, a return to the truth, light, life in this country, and the sacredness and the sanctity of those image bearers that are created in your image, Father. And so we just ask that you'd be greatly glorified in whatever happens, and in the meantime, Lord, give us the strength and the resources and the wisdom to save as many lives and souls as we possibly can. Father, bless American Family Radio, Jim and Tim and Alex and the crew, Lord, uh, and give them great strength to speak the truth and love every day. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Uh, guys, Amen. one of the things I wanted to mention about preborn. Uh, their mission statement is to glorify Jesus Christ by leading and equipping pregnancy clinics to save more babies and souls. And uh, Alex, I'm, I'm going to throw it back to you in just a moment, but Dan, would you remind us um, 
of the statistics. And and I'm looking at this as things become driven back more to states. Um, this is going to give you folks more opportunities to serve these ladies. Uh, so uh, would you remind yeah. us of, of how many choose life? Yeah, we. I just got the, the statistics so far uh, this year, Jim. We've seen over. This is pretty early. This is like the beginning of Q2. We're at we're at like eighteen thousand babies that have been saved. We saw forty three thousand last year total. So we're on a roll. Uh, eighteen thousand babies so far this year, and over four thousand women um, have bowed their knee at the altar of Jesus Christ, given their hearts to Christ so far in twenty twenty two, and that's made possible, as you know by our partnership with AFR uh, that has propelled this preborn to be able to really be an alternative to Planned Parenthood in this wickedness. So we're very thankful, Joe. Mm. All right, Dan, Amen. thanks for being with us this afternoon. God bless you, brother. My pleasure, gentlemen. All right. Bless you guys. All right, folks, and if you want more information on preborn, you know they're a, a partner of us here at American Family Radio. You can find that at preborn.org. That's preborn.org. Org. Now, Alex, I appreciate you letting us take part of the program today to do that because I agree it was something that needed to be covered in prayer. But I also want you to pray for another group of people, if you will. If okay. you would pray for those that have had abortions, that they would be restored to the relationship between them and Christ if they're not already. And if they have, that they would be protected from the enemy who would try and use that against them. Jim, that's just beautiful that you would bring that up. And you know what? Whether it's uh, being restored and having peace with God and peace within one's heart, or whether it's you know the the cultural battles that we talk about, Jim, I, I think about Luke eighteen verse one, where Jesus taught his disciples that we should always pray and not give up. Mm. And uh, the King James renders Luke eighteen one always pray, not faint or lose heart. But Jesus said that we, we always pray, and Galatians 6, 9 says, in due season we will reap if we faint not. So let's pray and uh, bow with us now, folks. Father, in the name of Jesus, we our hearts rejoice with hope because we, we just are so thrilled at the very prospect that this law would be struck down, Roe versus Wade, and the killing of the unborn. And Lord, uh, we do pray this would be one major step on the road to a nation that once again acknowledges human life, the sanctity of life, and Lord, you, the giver of life. But I do, I especially want to pray right now for those that have had an abortion, whether it be a woman who has had an abortion or a man that encouraged a woman toward an abortion. Father, Lord, we know that you are the great healer, the great forgiver, the one who restores our soul. So, Lord, in all of our talk about life, as we are passionate about it, Lord, we know there are those that feel uh, the weight of guilt and shame. So, Lord, let people know that you love them. There is no, no sin that you can't forgive if we only turn to you. So I pray for people to have peace with you, people to have peace within themselves. And Lord, let people move on in to that wonderful promised land of joy and restoration because of you, Jesus. We lift everyone who's in this category up to you. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Alex. Folks, we'll be back in Galatians, the fourth chapter. Right after this, as Exploring the Word continues on American Family Radio. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down each day from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Stephen Nally, Acting Administrator of the U.S. Energy Information Administration. His office is the nation's premier source of energy information in our country. Proverbs 2.10 reminds us of the importance of knowledge. For wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask you to guide Stephen Nally in his work at the EIA. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. This is an important election year in your state and all across the country. 
and we are joining together to pray the vote. Details at pausetopray.org. Dr. Tony Evans says money can either be a tool or a trap, whether you have a lot or nearly none at all. What determines the difference? We'll find out today as we spend two minutes with Tony. Most cars have indicator lights. These indicator lights come on to let you know something deeper needs to be looked at. The indicator light is not the problem, but it is pointing you to a deeper problem. When the indicator light comes on, you don't try to fix the light. When God wanted to shine the lights on our hearts and our spiritual priorities, he would regularly use an indicator light. He would bring up money because of how important it is, how valuable it is, how needed it is, but also how idolatrous it can become. And so he would turn on the light. In fact, Jesus talked more about money than he did about heaven or hell. Don't let money make you a fool by turning it into greed. Nothing wrong with the indicator light, with money itself. But once it turns into greed, you and I have put ourselves in a damaging, devilish scenario. So catastrophic is greed as an idol that in Romans 1 verses 29 and 30, it's put alongside of murder. It is identified as an idol because it is loved, trusted, and served. Learn how to spot and avoid the little g-gods that Satan tries to pass off as the real thing. Check out Tony's CD series, American Idols, available online at TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. You're listening to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. I'm Jim Stanley, alongside Dr. Alex McFarland today. And Alex, you know, we don't talk a lot about the political issues, but when they become moral issues, when and, and a lot of those do, uh, you know, we study the scriptures, we, we take that as a, a sacred duty that we have, and it's a good break in the afternoon from all the politics, but even with the abortion issue and the ruling from that, what looks to be the ruling uh, from Judge Alito, if that turns out to be the case, um, we took that and made it uh, the moral implication and made it a matter of prayer. And I think that is one thing that makes us different than the rest of the programs that we have. Mm. Well, what an honor it is. And yes, exploring the Word is based on the Scripture. And and you're right, Bert and I purposely kind of steer away from the headlines, although, I mean, we're interested in, obviously, but, you know, Jim, isn't it good that in this transient, ever-changing world, we have the timeless, unchanging truth of God's Word? And we, Tim Wildman had this idea, you know, 11, 12 years ago, that it would be kind of an oasis of eternal truth, the scriptures in the middle of the afternoon. Amen. And it's it's been very well received by our audience as well. I think that uh, they enjoy it. We get good response from it. We get a lot of questions to word at AFR.net. Uh, we get some good questions as well at our Facebook page. But uh, And then, of course, when we open the phone lines most every day, we get good responses there too. So I think it's something that people enjoy, and I know that it's always a joy for me to be on. I, I was honest when I said this is my favorite program. Uh, my my top second program would be Trivia Friday, but that's a whole other issue that is not always scriptural, but it is a lot uh, yeah. of fun. Well, um, Explore Board is my favorite show, and for everybody listening, we sincerely appreciate it. And in a few minutes, we're going to get to Bible questions, so if you want to call in today, we would love to hear from you. If you've never called in, uh, make this the day that you are a first-time caller, and the number, in a few moments, we'll get to the phones, but it's 888 
888-589-8840. We're in Galatians 4, and uh, Jim, yesterday we, we mentioned the fact that Galatians 4 begins by talking about children under guardians and uh, heirs even under servants. Um, the Old Testament, it's been said that in the Old Testament we had Jesus concealed. In the New Testament we have Christ revealed. And so much of the Old Testament and the journeys of the nation of Israel pointed to the promised Savior who would one day come. You know, even in the wilderness tabernacle and the rituals of the priesthood pointed to Christ, the Lamb who would shed his blood and uh, be the permanent washing away of sin. And Galatians 4.4 says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, to redeem those that were under the law, Galatians 4, 4 and 5. Jim, I would submit that uh, you and I and Bert, we could probably do a month of shows based on Galatians 4, 4 and 5, mm -hmm. that just at the precise time, in fulfillment of all those prophecies and promises, Jesus came, born of the Virgin Mary, born under the law, he fulfilled the law, but he did that, because we couldn't fulfill the law. And verse 5, he redeemed those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Now, Jim, there is a library of good theology in those two short verses. Oh, there absolutely is. I mean, when you look at that, uh, from the virgin birth to the purpose and then the redemption, uh, and then the reassurance that we are sons and daughters— because God has sent forth the spirit of his son, crying out, Abba, Father. And we know how intimate that is to, you know, to use the name Abba. Um, it, I think our modern-day on, take on that is uh, it's like when your kids call you daddy, you know, instead of father. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, there, you are the father, but then there's the more intimate and uh, comforting approach where it's more of a hey daddy type deal um and mm. and it's not that we lose any reverence for god through that but we recognize that as a child we have that liberty through the blood of christ to approach him as our daddy and not just our father well you know what's so amazing is and and i think there's kind of a, a an irony here it says in galatians 4 4 jesus was born under the law Okay, Jesus was Jewish, fulfilled all of the criteria, but he was fully God incarnate. See, Paul says we were dead under the law. Mm -hmm. So Christ, who is alive, and the law had no power over Jesus because Jesus hadn't sinned. He was not guilty of anything. Even he was born without a sin nature, born of a virgin. He can redeem us because he's over the law. And we were dead under the law because we're guilty. And uh, all of us had offended the law of God in one point or another. So he can make us alive, redeem us, verse 5. And you, you alluded to verse 6, that we can cry, Daddy. Uh, the Almighty is our, our Daddy, our Abba Father. So we're no longer a slave, but a son. And Jim, I think it's worth pointing out that in the ancient world, to be a son was such a humongous, significant thing. Not a, a, a worker, not a hired hand, but a, a blood-born heir of the landowner. Mm -hmm. And who is the king, the owner of all things? God. And if you're a Christian, you're a child. You're a, you're a daughter of the king. You're a son of the king. What? Verse 7? Through Christ. Not through our works or any deservedness, but through Jesus Christ. And because he's the son of God, we're the children of God by being born, by putting our trust in him. Jim, sometimes I, I read about all that we have as a, a Christian, and I think, why wouldn't anybody want to be a child of God? And friends, you can become that right now today by putting your trust in Jesus. Amen. Uh, you know, as we continue here in Galatians, the fourth chapter, uh, there's a the verse eight there 
it says, but then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. But now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? So we've been introduced to God. We've been told that that because of the blood of Christ and because of the sacrifice of Christ and through our faith in Christ, that we can now approach the King of Kings boldly and also quietly as a, as a son, as a daughter of that king. But then instead of, of finding the happiness there and finding the home there, we turn again to those things that are less than God. Alex, you know, that's heartbreaking because we find the same thing going on in our culture. We, you know, as an American, we have these different rights and we have these different things that we are favored by. But a lot of times we give those rights over so that we can go back to the lesser things. How does that make sense? Why do we do that? Well, uh, I, I think Paul addresses this in Romans 7, Jim, that, you know, Paul said, that which I don't want to do, I do, and that which I do want to do, I don't do. See, here's the, here's the thing. Um, even though we are saved and born again, we're made alive, regenerated, and we have the new nature. Well, the old nature, the fallen sin nature, doesn't give up without a fight. And it, it's just like, you know, you, let's say there's, there's two, two dogs in the backyard, and uh, one's a nice dog and one's a bad dog. The one that you feed is the one that's going to have the dominance. And if you feed the Spirit... And, and how do we do that? Well, we walk with the Lord. We pray. We go to church. Um, as, uh, you know, Wesley talked about, cultivating the habits of godliness. Well, you know, letting the Holy Spirit lead you. That's going to make the spiritual man stronger. But if you, I think like Paul says, look, they, they went back into observing days and months and seasons. Verse 11 Paul says, I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Well, uh, people fall back, and the Bible uses the word backslidden, mm -hmm. or they become carnal because they didn't feed the Spirit. And, you know, Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon was a great English preacher 100 years ago. He said, the Christian life is like climbing up a hill of ice. If you're not daily working to ascend, invariably you're going to slide down the hill. And so uh, the, the more you do things, the easier the habits become. And that, that's why, for those that have, you know, recently come to Christ, be in church um, daily, nurture your walk with Jesus, and keep your heart tender to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit so that we don't lapse back into the things that we once did. Uh, Jim, it's a, it's a sad tragedy, I think, when those who knew the Lord, they were vibrant for the Lord, but they, they regress. Because very often, um, I've known people, if, if you backslide and fall away from Jesus, you might end up worse than you were before you had even come to Christ. Have, mm. have you ever known folks like that, Jim? Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's because it seems like once we've been separated from that joy of our salvation, we continually look for other things to try and fill that space. Instead of turning back from which that joy came in the first place, you know, Christ sent us the Holy Spirit as a comforter, but we no longer want to be comforted by the Holy Spirit. We want to do our own thing. And, and it seems like the more we want to do our own thing, the further away we do get from God. And I think it all goes back to trying to fill a hole that only God can. Um, let me go in here for just a second, folks. We're in Galatians 4, um, and 13 through, 13 through 15, there might just be a little secret here that we uncover, because uh, Paul says this, and he, he says, look, you know, Galatians, you're, you're under grace, don't revert back under law and works. And then he goes on, and he says, you know that because of physical infirmity, I preached 
the gospel to you at the first. And really the wording there, not because of, but like in the, even in the midst, even in spite of physical infirmity, I preached to you. And my trial that was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Now, Jim, one of the perennial questions out of early church history was, what was Paul's thorn in the flesh, Mm -hmm. Paul's infirmity? And we don't know for sure. Um, You know, it's been theorized maybe Paul's thorn in the flesh was eyesight uh, problems, blindness or something. Maybe on that Damascus Road, seeing the, the, the risen Jesus, maybe it was like blinding light. Well, um... This is an indication. They didn't despise him or reject him, and and we don't know for sure, but he says, look, you showed me such love, you would have even plucked out your eyes and given them to me. Do you think maybe, and and we can't be too dogmatic here, but 13 through 15 is an indication that maybe, yes, indeed, Paul's thorn in the flesh, his infirmity was vision problem? You know, um, David Jeremiah agrees with that sentiment there, Alex, and it's not that I don't, but I happen to have the um, study Bible, the David Jeremiah study Bible in front of me today. And as you were saying that, I was looking in in some of the footnotes, and it said some believe that he contracted malaria while traveling and therefore decided to go to the higher area of Galatia to recover. Others speculate that his problem was an eye disease that caused drainage to disfigure his face, uh, which could be mm. supported, as you said there, from 415. Now, when you think about that, if his face had become disfigured, and, you know, I think of pink eye as something that repulses people. You know, they, they want to keep your distance from them. But for him to say that these people loved him so much that they accepted him as they would Christ, even to the point of giving their own eyes so that he could have some relief. That's a pretty, that's a pretty dead gum strong statement right there that, um, exactly. he, he wanted, he wanted to be able to comfort them. And at the same time, they were willing to do whatever they could for him, for him. And he said, have I therefore become your enemy? Because I tell you the truth. They tell you the, and so, you know, when you go from that to the other, He's showing them that he's not their enemy, that he's the same guy he was before the disfigurement or before his infirmity, whatever that was. But I think you're right. I think it could have been his eyes. Yeah. And and you know what? A true friend uh, may not tell you necessarily what you want to hear, but somebody who really loves you will tell you what you need to hear. Uh, I've always loved Galatians uh, 4.16. He asked this question. And very, very often, Paul would drive a truth home in the form of a question. He says, am I therefore your enemy because I tell you the truth? Because he's saying, look, you loved me. You received the gospel I preached. Now that you've lapsed into works a little bit, don't get mad at me. Don't get mad. I'm just telling you the truth. That's what he's saying. And then when you go on into verse 17, there are those who are trying to Uh, court the Galatians, if you will, uh, that they want to exclude you, that you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you. And then we're going to put a pin in it right there, because there's some really rich stuff. 888-589-8840. Your Bible questions next on AFR. What does the American Family Association stand for? We believe that our ministry, as well as everything in the heavens and on earth, belongs to God. And our role is that of a trusted manager. These values and more are part of our mission to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. We want to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Thank you for standing with us. Hi, I'm Mark Harrington, founder of the pro-life group Created Equal and host of Activist Radio, The Mark Harrington Show. Created Equal is all about saving the lives of unborn children. 
Each week, I cover the latest pro-life news and feature interviews with unsung heroes from across the nation who are making a difference for the cause of life, liberty, and justice. Join me every Sunday afternoon at 5.30 for The Mark Harrington Show here on American Family Radio and discover how you, too, can help protect the lives of the most innocent among us. The communist government has spoken. There's no room for Christianity within the walls of China. Hey, it's Michael Woolworth with Bible League International, and the man named Katsu is an evangelical pastor, a little more than 50. He serves outside of Beijing. I won't identify his village. But I would guess he has been beaten and jailed 25 times over the course of his ministry. Most recently, they beat him so severely he could not get up for a week. They let him go and told him to never speak of Jesus again. About a week later, a knock came on his door. He was somewhat reluctant to open it, but he found Hyo the bitter atheist interrogator who beat him terribly at one question that burned in his heart all week long. Why were you at such peace when we were beating you? So Katsu would open his door, open his Mandarin Bible, and lead this bitter atheist to faith in Christ together. They've witnessed thousands coming to Christ who all need Bibles in China. At $5 a Bible, would you call 800-YES-WORD? 800-YES-WORD. 800-YES-WORD or give at sendbiblesnow.org. That's sendbiblesnow.org. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Jeremiah descended from a priestly lineage in Judah. He grew up in Anathoth, about two to four miles northeast of Jerusalem, where the temple was located. He began ministering prophetically about 627 B.C. during the 13th year of King Josiah's reign. This is about five years before Josiah began Judah's spiritual reformation. It is very likely that Josiah's reformation was influenced by Jeremiah's preaching. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Matthew 19, 14. American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. What will I say when I'm held to the flame like I am right now? I know you're able and I know you can save through the fire with your mighty hand. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. Jim Stanley with Dr. Alex McFarland. And we're going to start taking your phone calls here at 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. And uh, I'll tell you what, we're going to back up uh, from where we were there as I was reading. Uh, let's put a pin in it, Alex, at verse 17 uh, there in Galatians 4, and that's where we'll pick up tomorrow. What do you think? Yes. All right. Sounds good, brother. All right, we'll do that. Now we're going to talk to Miller calling from Louisiana. Miller, good afternoon, and welcome to Exploring the Word. Oh, hello there. Uh, I was listening yesterday, and her, and what y'all were talking about now kind of leads right into it, but it's talking about true believers and getting saved and whatnot, and I had uh, um, a problem with that myself because I made a profession in the third grade, and I was I didn't understand what true biblical belief was. But as, as I studied and all like that, um, I just know that, that the true believer cannot practice sin. That's according to 1 John chapter 3 and, and verse 4 through 10. But it just says the one who practices sin is practicing lawlessness and so forth. And the bottom line is if someone is truly born again, which happened to me in 1976, 20 years after I made a profession, is that there was a changed life, and I did begin to understand what true biblical belief is, and it's a faith or a trust that results in the following Christ. And since his crucifixion and resurrection, you know, what, 1,800 years ago, you can't follow him anymore because he's not here, apart from the owner's manual. And I'm just saying to you that, yes, we sin, Christian sin, 
and we do wrong. And First John 1 says that if we, verse 10, 9 and 10, if we will confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to uh, forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness, because Paul is clear in Romans 1, or Romans 3, that there is none righteous, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means Billy Graham and all of them were not perfect. But the point is, is that if you're truly saved, you can't lose it. And there are so many people who think they were, like I, I did for 19 years, and I really wasn't saved. But when I did get there and I started following the Lord and the Word, I just know that it, it that you cannot practice sin, and that's what First John says, and Paul says it too in Rome in Second right. Corinthians. Hey Miller, 5, seventeen. Miller, we yeah, appreciate you your. Go. All right, we appreciate your comments this afternoon, brother. Thanks so much for some good scripture, Alex. And and thinking about those scriptures, you know, John writes, "My little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. But if any man sins, then we have an advocate with the Father." Who is Jesus Christ? So, how mm. do we balance that? Well, well, thank you for calling, sir. You know, First John five eighteen says in the English Bible, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. Uh, boy, there's there's a volume of of good truth there, Jim. Um, I know you're a fan of the Amplified Bible. You remember the Amplified Bible? I, I do. <laughs> uh, it's it's such a good resource. And uh, way many years ago, Billy Graham kind of introduced that to the Western world. And there's a word in the Amplified Bible's rendering of this. He who is born of God does not habitually sin. Mm-hmm. Now, in the original Greek, there's, there's a word that says, who is born of God... Does, does not continue to sin, but keeps himself, or literally protects himself. So I I think the caller is right. The key is, if you've truly been saved, you know, we might stumble, we might struggle, but it's not, sin is not going to be a a habit. One last thing, folks, you know, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets us. Jim, I, I personally think what one person struggles with temptation-wise might not be what the other Christian struggles with. I think um, we all are called a righteousness, but I think probably each of us has our Achilles heel or our weak spot that's the, the place of weakness and temptation. And for that reason, we have to be aware of it and just keep our eyes on Jesus and not not allow the besetting sin or temptation to take a foothold in in our life, Amen. Um, it man, there's just so much great stuff there, and we could really jump off of that and get in into a whole different Bible study. But I think that we will save that for another day. All right, All let's, right. let's talk to Bobby calling in from Texas now. Bobby, good afternoon, and welcome to Exploring the Word. Oh, I love you guys. I would want this one for for Alex, Jim. I want you to expound on uh, the word enmity. The Lord put enmity between the woman and thy seed. Is that a tool that the Lord uses to chasten us to understand as Christians when this backsliding starts? Because it's like a uh, slow drift. You know, you don't even realize it. Most of us, I don't think, until the Holy Spirit just convicts us totally of it. In which I agree with everybody. If you're if you're a true born believe believer, you, the Holy Spirit will drive away the sin. <laughs> he convicts mm-hmm. us, and if you can continue in a conviction, you're a lot stronger man than I've ever been because I can't continue in a conviction. And but I just want you guys to expound on that word enmity. Does that is that a tool that the Lord used when He did that in the beginning? Because we all know we're our brother's keepers, right? Yeah. Um, hey, by the way, Bobby Joe, thanks for listening down in Texas, and it's always good to hear from you. You know Genesis three fifteen. Okay, you know Adam and Eve sinned. And there's the curse, and God comes to the garden and says, what have you done? And 
uh, Adam deflects and says, well, the woman that you gave me, I've always been amazed, Jim, at how brazen Adam was to try to blame, not only blame Eve, but blame God for putting Eve there. Uh, in, in love and mercy, God gave the helpmate, and Adam, in Genesis 3, uh, you know, 3.12, Adam said, the woman you gave me, in other words, God, this is all your fault. And of course, that wasn't true. Well, the curse comes on Adam and Eve and on the serpent, and in verse 15 of Genesis 3, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He will bruise your head, but you will bruise his heel. Now, this is Genesis 3.15, called the first gospel, the Proto-Evangelium. And it's the promise that the seed of the woman, and that's a reference to the eventual virgin birth of Jesus, the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. But this, this thing of enmity, it means perpetual hostility. Now, here's part of the curse that fell on the serpent. And this is amazing. Because our sin was a wedge between us and God. I mean, we're if, if you're not saved yet, if you're in sin, your sin is a perpetual hostility between you and God. But you know what? Here in Genesis 3.15, there's the prediction that there would, the children of Eve, and that's the human race, there would be a perpetual hostility between the children of Eve and the children of the serpent, snakes. Do you know what, Jim? Marvin Olasky, the uh, editor of World Magazine, brilliant Harvard-educated guy, brilliant guy and devout believer, In one of his books, he documented how basically all cultures throughout history have had this aversion to snakes. Now, I know there's a few exceptions, but most human beings are afraid of snakes, don't like snakes. In fact, where I come from, about the only rule we had was if you find a snake, kill it. (laughs) And there, there there has been throughout history enmity between people and serpents. It's just uncanny how true that has been. But I, I think um, this division, hostility, separation, it speaks to the fruits of sin. And sin came from the serpent. We were tempted. We bit the apple. We're guilty. But sin brought enmity into the world, didn't it, Jim? It sure did. And at the same time, it brought enmity. It brought the promise as well, that God would bring one along that would bruise the head of Satan and yet the heel of Christ, as we know, as as it's been revealed, would only be bruised. You know what? Sometimes when you step on a hard rock, you're going to get a bruise on your foot. Imagine what it was like crushing Satan. So, yeah. anyway... um, We appreciate your question this afternoon, Bobby. That sure is uh, good stuff. We're going to talk to Mary from Texas now. Mary, good afternoon, and welcome to Exploring the Word. I appreciate you taking my call today. I have a question, and that arose from someone calling me for advice about attending a same-sex wedding. The question is, where do scripture-wise love the sinner and hate the sin? My friend called for advice. Her and her husband refused to go to this wedding. They're Christians, and um, they didn't want to celebrate this family's wedding, same sex. And everyone in her family, sisters, nieces, all came against her, saying, you know, Jesus taught to love the sinner and hate the sin. Well, Jesus, to me, would have not attended a same-sex wedding. It was an abomination, according to the Old Testament. He destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay. And he... uh, Miss Mary, let me, let me speak to that. And Alex, if you don't mind, I'm, I'll, I'll say something briefly. Sure, and, sure. Um, Miss Mary, I, I have to tell you, that is a, that is a hard, hard subject. And we are not to celebrate sin. I, I want to be clear about that. I think 
that is has been evidenced by some of the other conversations we've had today, even in, in these last couple of phone calls. Uh, the cliche of hate the sin and love the sinner, you know, that there are different scriptures that would point us towards the unending love of Christ. But at the same time, we would we would be clear in you know in, in where we stand in Christ. And so I can tell you that there are people who love God on both sides of the same sex marriage issue and they struggle with this. They struggle with it as parents. They struggle with it as uh, friends or loved ones. And so that becomes one of those things that, that you have to choose for yourself. And uh, I would caution you to not be harsh in your judgment of that because you, we, we have to remember that Christ warned us that if we judged, we would be judged the same way. And what that means, I'm not telling you not to do something that you ought not do. If you have a conviction about not doing it, don't do it. But what I am saying is that don't be so harsh that you burn down that bridge that you can never reach across it to try and bring that person back to Christ or bring that person to Christ in the first place. And so uh, because it's talking about the harshness of our judgment is that same judgment we would bring upon ourselves. Um, you know, I, I look here and I'm looking, Alex, you mentioned the Amplified a little bit ago. I'm in mm -hmm. Romans, the sixth chapter. And looking at the sixth chapter, um, says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But then what benefit or return did you get from the things of which you are now ashamed? None. For the end of those things is death. But now since you have been set free from sin and death, become the slaves of God, you have your present reward in holiness, and its end is eternal life. For the wages which sin pays is death, but the bountiful free gift of God is eternal life through in union with Jesus Christ our Lord. So we are called to hate the sin. We are called to love the sinner, but we don't want to send the sinner to hell without giving them a chance to repeat. Pardon me, repent. Alex? Well, God bless you. You know, Bert and I address this in our book, 100 Bible Questions and Answers, which uh, incidentally is in the AFA store. It came out last October. And and by the way, I, I give God the glory. I was on the phone with Tim Wildman this morning, and Bert and I have been uh, asked to do a volume two. And we're going to start working on that and put pen to paper just any day now. But Tim has asked us to do a volume two of 100 more Bible questions and answers. But Jim, one of the questions we got in volume one is the um, you know question, should a Christian attend a same-sex wedding? Uh, let, let me say this at, at the beginning. The phrase, love the sinner, hate the sin, is not in the Bible. Right. Um, it's been said that it probably originated with St. Augustine, who lived 354 to 430. Um, and, and the principle is there. Um, let me just say this, and I'm only speaking for Alex. You've got to keep that bridge open where you can share the gospel, but so much that is anti-Christian and anti-America even and anti-biblical is in the gay agenda. Um, I'm only speaking for myself. I would find it hard to attend a gay wedding because it's the implicit endorsement of all that goes on there. Oh, I would agree. I, I don't, and please forgive me if I if it seemed like I meant otherwise. Folks, that's going to do it for us today. We appreciate you being with us and hope that you'll stick around. Washington Watch comes your way next. Tell somebody about AFR. Tell everybody about Jesus.